media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. As you're seated this morning, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 as we continue to go through the Gospel of Mark. It has been a wonderful journey so far. We're, we're not even halfway there, but uh, trying to take our time as we go through and just get some of the, not just the nuances of each one of these stories in particular. And this morning we come upon a passage in Mark chapter 4, starting with verse 35, that is probably a little bit familiar to us. Uh, many of you, if you've grown up in church or if you've attended church for some portion of your life, you may be familiar with the story where the disciples are crossing over uh, the Sea of Galilee and, and how a storm comes up. And we're going to get to that this morning, but uh, I want us to, to, to see this. Even if you've heard that story uh, five times, a hundred times before, seen in a new light today, especially in relationship to this time of year, this season of Thanksgiving, but especially in the kind of oddity that we have experienced in 2020. Uh, a year ago, I look back at what I preached last Thanksgiving, just kind of be mindful of that, and uh, nowhere in there did we have any mention of COVID and, and quarantines and face masks, and digital learning, toilet paper, and nowhere was any of that even a mindset uh, that we had. There was no anticipation of that. There was no kind of, oh, this could happen. So it's amazing how fast our lives are changed by circumstances and done so so quickly. Now, some of you have experienced that in a personal way through uh, maybe a car accident, maybe other times a job loss, maybe a health emergency, where the morning you went to work and by that afternoon you're in a hospital bed. Or other times when you've received that news that really drastically changed your life. I guess what's so shocking and scary to us is just how quick that vulnerability comes into our lives. I think our our senses get a little bit dulled as we just kind of go through the routines of life. And it's October, and then it's November, and then it's December, and then we change the calendar, and it's a new year. And a lot of times we feel like we're just kind of in that repetitious of life, and we're just going through the patterns. Monday we get up and we go to work, and Friday we were glad that it's that last, uh, the latter part of the week, and that we kind of continue on maybe through a weekend. We have these patterns in our life, and it's when these vulnerabilities come in and all of a sudden cast a shadow or even cast difficulty into that pattern that we begin to see how vulnerable we really are in life. Uh, there's a proverb in the Old Testament, Proverbs 19.21, that I think that we just really don't quite comprehend the heaviness of it. Uh, this verse talks about the plans that we make, but also you know, the vulnerability of those plans, and then the sovereignty of God. Look what it says, Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Now, I want you to see two sides of this. This is, this is see it as one coin with two sides. On one side, he said, one side of this coin is our plans. And uh, we make all kinds of plans. You probably already have plans for Thanksgiving. You have plans maybe for your financial future, all those kind of things. And we have a lot of those plans. Some of you are very detailed persons, and you very much have maybe even written plans because you're very organized. Others, we kind of storm right up here. Folks, we have plans, and we have a lot of them. But on the other side of that coin, though, is that there's a purpose that God is forever working. 
And he's working out his will in our lives. Some of that is through his permissive will. Other things is the perfect plan and the will of God. Uh, when we get do a study of God's will, we see that there's uh, several elements of that. Uh, there's certain things like the return of Christ that are definitely going to happen. Nobody could ever stand in the way. Some of the things that we just sung about, about how one day all those who have put faith and trust in Christ will be with God forevermore. Nothing's going to stand in the way of that. And then there's other things that all of a sudden we see that uh, what to us looks like all of a sudden a left turn or a right turn. And we don't really discern, God, are you in this? In this verse, in this proverb, we begin to see these two sides, man's plans and God's purposes. And if we really begin to ponder that, I wonder this morning, are you disturbed by that or are you comforted by that? In one way, it can be disturbing from a very human nature, just to be honest, that we have a plans and we've set out on calendar dates and this, that, and the other. We kind of have a plan for life. And to think that all of a sudden these vulnerabilities, even possibly God's purposes coming in and changing our plans, that can be disturbing to some people who really want to be the captain of their own ship. At the same time, I pray this morning that you really find the comfort of that. That even in this world where we do not know what's going to happen tomorrow morning, we don't even know what's going to happen this afternoon, that we can be comforted that there's a God who is sovereign over all things. In a world where things can be forever changed in a split second, where circumstances are way beyond our control, do we find comfort that there's a God who's always working his plans? Do we find comfort in our ability to, to make our own plans? I mean, some of you, and I mean, I certainly have this part of my life where, you know, you consider yourself a navigator, okay? If there's a curveball, then I know, turn the ship this way. If there's all of a sudden a turn this way, okay, if it's going to be better, we turn the right to the left. And so a lot of times we get into this habit of becoming navigators of life. And yet I promise you, if it hasn't happened yet, there will be that day when there's such a change that is thrust upon you that you really can't navigate, that it overwhelms you and you really do feel the vulnerability of life. Some of you have experienced that even in this past year, even related to something like a COVID that you did, that we did not see coming. Others have seen it on a personal level of losing loved ones and, and you find out that even though I knew dad was getting older, I knew that mom was getting older, I knew that these things were happening and yet when that experience that they pass on, and in Christ, they pass on and go to be with the Lord. That reality, that vulnerability doesn't seem so far away anymore. It seems very, very close. Do you find comfort in your ability to navigate around life's curves? Do you find comfort this morning in knowing that there's a God who is truly sovereign all over? See, part of that can be a theoretical question. Part of that is there's a reality. A year ago today, Father, uh, folks, we, we did not know any of the things that would be going on in 2020. We really did not know. In the fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel, we actually find events that kind of fit this question. Are we just navigators of life and we just hope that we're good enough navigators to, to be able to steer through all these vulnerabilities? 
Or do we truly have a belief and a connection with this creator God through his son Jesus Christ that we know that his very spirit is with us and that that spirit gives us not only direction but comfort in those times that we're overwhelmed? If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you know that Jesus has been teaching and some of those days of teaching were extremely long because thousands and thousands of people were coming. And they were coming sometimes for the good reason that they wanted to hear the words of life. And they also came for other reasons. Sometimes they had affirmities. They had different things going on in their life. And they had heard that Christ was able to fix some of those things. And so they would come. And so you have this mixture of crowd. We also know because of our past study that religious leaders have come now, not just from the area of Galilee, but now they have come all the way from Jerusalem to really kind of watch and take note of Christ, to really try to trap Christ because they do not like what he's teaching, because it seems to be teaching against them. And yet, here he has the words of life. After one of these long days of teaching, uh, we saw last time that Jesus even had to get out on a boat, because there were so many people that he got out on a boat, and that would help his voice reflect against the waters and kind of create a, a natural auditorium there, but also just so that the throng of people wouldn't thrust upon him. And so he's been teaching from a boat, and look what happens in Mark Chapter 4, verse 35. On that day, a very long day of teaching, when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Now, that would have been somewhat of an oddity just in itself, because a lot of times when you would go out of Galilee in some of the Galilean cities, uh, you would travel left or right. You wouldn't cross over to the other side. Because guess who lived on the other side? Gentiles. And these were people that really were not part of the Jewish faith and, and they weren't believers and there was almost this antagonistic kind of relationship. And so it's kind of strange from the very beginning that they're going to go to the other side and we'll see more about that in the weeks to come. But, but they're going to go to the other side and so they, you kind of see that them casting off and leaving the crowd, verse 36, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. See that phrase, just as he was. I take that. Many others would take that. He had been teaching in the boat. He didn't come back on shore, shake hands, kind of wave to everybody. They just took him after this exhausting day of teaching, and they just kind of cast out for the other side. And other boats were with him. Verse 36 says, just as he was. Just as he was is not only maybe in the same boat, but just as he was, very tired and worn out. So there they are, plans made. Setting off, it's evening, teaching is done. Kind of finish the, you know, kind of you feel uh, how you feel sometimes, Ricky, maybe at, at, at 12.15 or something. Okay, we've had our services, we, you know, we've all, all this planning has gone into this, and, and now we're ready to cast off and go home and eat supper or whatever is next on the agenda. And so that's what they're doing here. And look what happens in verse 37. Something that was not a part of their plans. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already feeling. Okay, get this picture. Now, again, many of the disciples are experienced uh, fishermen. They've been out there many times uh, when all of a sudden a storm would come up. So this isn't something that they were just unfamiliar with. This is not something that would usually rock their boat, no pun intended, uh, and, and that they would just kind of navigate through. And yet there's a description about this storm that we see. It, it was a furious storm. It was a, as it says there in verse 37, 
a great windstorm. The Greek word there for great that we're going to see three different times in this passage is the word megas, M-E-G-A-S. What does that kind of sound like in our English terms? Mega. If you're talking about, hey, today we're having a mega sale, what kind of sale is that? It's a big one, you know? Hey, we're going to have a mega feast on Thanksgiving. What kind of feast are you going to have? A big one. And that's what came up. This wasn't just a regular storm. In fact, if you, if you went and looked at the counterpart in other gospels, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 34, in the gospel of Matthew, it says, without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So here they are. They're out there. Their plan is to go to the other side. I don't know that they charted the time and said, okay, we're leaving at seven. We should be there by eight. I don't know that they are down to that kind of specifics, but they have a plan. And all of a sudden the storm comes up and, and they have to decide, do we navigate this? Do we even have the ability to navigate it? And they find themselves kind of in a very, very dangerous situation. The Sea of Galilee is really a lake. It's not really a, a sea as much as it is a lake. It's 628 feet below sea level. And around there are mountains. And so it kind of sits down and everything else is almost like a, a, a big stadium or something. Uh, first time that I saw the Sea of Galilee and, and just kind of saw that you could really picture, hey, this is surrounded by mountainous areas. And all of a sudden you begin to understand some of the stories that you read in the Bible about how quickly these storms could come up. Because what would happen is all of a sudden these storms would come, they would get in this tunnel, almost a funnel, and all these winds would come. And so almost immediately, a very calm sea would turn into a a very tumultuous, furious squall. And that's what is happening here. This was so big that the water started coming into the boats. Can I, can you show that, that picture of the boats? This is probably pretty typical. They've found some boats, um, uh, in, in the area that are about 2,000 years old. Uh, one I got to see when I was in Israel called the Jesus boat. And we don't know that Jesus was actually on that boat, but it would have been very familiar to the kind of boats that they used. And, and so it's probably like this. And so if you've got 12 disciples, and you have Jesus, they could have been in two different boats. Maybe they're in the same boat. It does say they're back in verse 36, and other boats were with him. Okay, so, so we don't know if they're all crowded into one, but we do know this. They're together, they have a plan, and all of a sudden there is a major wrinkle in their plans by this magos storm that comes upon them. Remember, they're fishermen betrayed. They're not usually alarmed by a little bit of water, but this has really become something bigger, and they begin to fear for their life. They instantly look over and to, to see how Jesus is reacting and what he's going to do. They, they have faith that he is the Messiah. They're following him. They have seen by now his miracles. They've seen the lame walk, the blind see. They've seen demons cast out. They've seen Jesus do all kinds of miraculous things. And they looked over to find Jesus, and yet they see something kind of strange, that in the midst, you can only imagine this boat is going up and down. These waves are crashing over. They're drenched. And yet they find Jesus sleeping. Look at verse 38. But he, that is Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Does he sleep just because he's at peace? 
I would think so. Is he sleeping because he was totally exhausted from the day of ministry? I would think so. I think it's a combination of all these things. But they find him sleeping, and this is the conclusion that they draw. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Again, if we go to the other Gospels and we look at the parallel story, the same story, but in the other Gospels, Matthew says it this way, Master, Master, we're going to drown. I'm sorry, that's Luke's Gospel. Matthew's uh, Gospel says, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. We're going to drown. We're dying. Not, not just that our plans are interrupted. We had planned to go to the other side. Not just we have to navigate around a little bump in the road. This is life threatening. There's a vulnerability that enters their life in an instant that they did not plan on. And their immediate conclusion, as they look and they find Jesus sleeping there, is, Jesus, don't you care? Master, don't you care? You and I might, might say very simply, well, what, what little faith? But I can imagine, guys, that you've been there before. Maybe not those words. That when plans were made, things that you could not navigate, a furious squall so big that you are wondering if you will live through it. And you don't feel the presence of Jesus doing anything to stop it. And I wonder if you and I have ever had that time, maybe not verbally and maybe not even, you know, to say these pronounced words, God, don't you care? God, don't you care that uh, I'm in this emotional pain and it's been constant? Now, don't you care that I'm in this physical pain? Don't you care that I lost my job and I don't know how to pay the bills to keep my family under this roof? Have you ever been to that place where the vulnerability of life came so close to you that all of a sudden you knew you were not in control? It's either the worst place in life to be or the best place in life to be. Worst place is because all of a sudden we find out that we can't navigate this on our own. That that vulnerability, as close as it is, that we can smell the breath of vulnerability in our life, we realize it is overwhelming. It is perishing. This is deadly. And yet, is that not the best place in the world to be spiritually? God, all I have is you. Where we can find, as Paul and others did, the sufficiency of this Christ. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? One of the, probably the, the biggest challenges of our faith in God is knowing that he is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, and yet we know that God can, but God doesn't always do. Have you ever faced that dilemma in your life? God, I know you can take cancer away, but you, but you haven't taken the cancer away. God, I know you can get me a job tomorrow, but you haven't got me a job. I've been looking for three months and, and I've run out of reserves and I, I don't have the money to pay this month's mortgage. See, we begin to find out really, really quickly that the vulnerability of life, which I promise you is always there. We're always one second away from this vulnerability, from this tremendous mega storm in our life. And yet, because of the patterns, because of our own ability sometimes, our own confidence and our ability to navigate this, we just thought, okay, we're going to have to try harder, going to you know, sharpen the pencil, going to have to do this or do that. 
But there may come a time in our lives, folks, when that vulnerability is so big that we really do come to the conclusion we are going to perish, we're going to die physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, that it's going to bring death. And we wonder, God, where are you? Do you not care that we're perishing? And if we have a little bit of our theological mind working, God, I know you can, then why haven't you? I think that's the dilemma that we have. We really struggle reconciling the power of God with the purposes of God. Is there a doubt of anybody here this morning that God can fill in the blank? I would assume that just looking at the faces of many of you, not knowing all of your spiritual backgrounds, but I would imagine that many of you go, no, my God can. I know that he can. So it presents a dilemma on the other side. Thank God, why haven't you? Why haven't you? Why, Why did you not? You understand that? What a complexity. What a struggle. And that struggle just increases as the vulnerability gets closer and closer to our lives. Look what happens here in verse 39. And Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was what? What what kind of calm, Doug? A great. Guess what the word in the Greek is there for this kind of calm? Yeah. There was a Magos storm, and all of a sudden, God brings a Magos calm. Not just a little bit of calm. I'm not thinking that, okay, it went from 20-foot waves or 10-foot waves down to 3-foot ripples. I'm understanding this verse to saying it was like glass. Have you ever been out on Lake Lanier early in the morning before anybody else, and you got the skis out because it was like glass? And you're going, man, this is going to be good skiing today. Now all of a sudden, 20 other boats come up, and for the rest of the day, you're choppy out there. But for that moment, for those first couple moments, man, you're able to ski on glass. It's just wonderful. I think that's the picture here. In a matter of minutes, they have experienced in their lives going from this charted course to a Magos storm and chaos, and now from a Magos storm to a Magos calm. Look at Jesus' response, verse 40. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? One of the really hard things uh, about reading the Bible is that we cannot interpret all the time tone. Now, the Greek helps us a lot because the Greek is much more of a, a, a flowerful kind of language. And so it can give us tones and tenses and all those kind of things. And so when you ever hear a preacher say, this is in the indicament or this, you know, whenever they kind of do, they're not just, well, some of them are not trying to show off. They're trying to say, here, we get this tone. We weren't there. We don't have a recording and say, okay, listen to Jesus, you know, say this. But we get a sense of it as best as we can because of the words that are used. And here, we don't know the exact tone, but, but we do. So why are you so afraid? Do you see that as condemning? Do you see it as questioning? Do you see it as wondering? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? By this time in the ministry, these disciples have seen Jesus cast out demons. They've seen him do the miraculous, things that only he could do. Remember even one of those first miracles? Your sins are forgiven. And everybody freaked out because everybody was saying, 
Only God can forgive sins. And he goes, you're right on that one. And that's my claim. I am God. I'm the very son of God. And so they've seen all this. But look what what Jesus ties together. He, He ties together fear in faith. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus' question infers that they've seen enough to respond in faith, but let's face it. It's one thing to have faith for other people. I just shared that this morning with, with Jeff. We were talking about the sermon this morning. I said, I'm amazed at how much faith I have for you. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how much faith we have for other people? Now, come on, hang in there, Sherry. You know, just have faith. How amazing our faith is for other people. We want them to have this tremendous faith. But all of a sudden, that vulnerability, that change of plans, that left turn when we thought it was going to be a right turn, comes into our lives, and our own faith is challenged. And all of a sudden, the very advice that we gave to a brother or sister that was going through something else in their lives, when we said, you know, be in the Word and have faith and just have confidence in God, all of a sudden, when we're challenged with vulnerability in our life, all of a sudden, how those words that seem so mighty now become so small. Same advice that we quote to encourage others doesn't always encourage us. Why is that? Because the reality of the vulnerability. I think that we still believe it, but all of a sudden, along with belief, all of a sudden we have the challenge of this dilemma that's before us. When it's in your life, it's theoretical. And so I can be very theoretical. I can be very pastoral in my response. Have faith. Let's pray. But all of a sudden, when that reality is in my own life, all of a sudden it's not just theoretical, but it's my mortgage that may or may not get paid. It's my body part that may or may not have cancer. And all of a sudden, the thing that has changed is not sickness. Sickness, when we talk to our friend, God hasn't changed. Well, the only thing that's changed in that formula is who it happened to. And now it's us. And that vulnerability is ever so close. I think it all comes down to this factor of vulnerability. I mean, even if we look back on 2020, guys, for some, please hear all these words and please do not hear insensitivity. Just my evaluation. For some, 2020 has been much more of an inconvenience than it has been a vulnerability. Had, you know, all of a sudden we have, you know, teaching from home. All of a sudden we can't do this or we can't do that or heaven forbid they play the masters in November instead of in April. Not trying to be silly. I'm just, you know, for, for many people it's been an inconvenience, but for others it has truly brought death to their family and they've lost a loved one through this disease. So this, that vulnerability is really, really close to them. There are some that have had to shut down their businesses because of this. Others, oh, I, I go to work every day. My, my work really hasn't changed. But please understand, I think this all comes down to vulnerability. 
And there's going to be times in our lives that we are inconvenienced by changes of direction that come about in the purposes of God. But there's other times that that vulnerability really does so rock our boat that we cry out, God, don't you care that we're perishing? That's a little bit different from, uh, we didn't get to go on vacation this year. A little bit different from, you know, we can't find toilet paper anywhere. Not trying to be silly. Just trying to talk about, you know, how do we deal with this when it goes from inconvenience to true vulnerability? The reality for the disciples in that moment is that they experienced vulnerability that was always there. We're always just one moment away from, from our own death. We're always just one moment away from whatever could happen to us in life, from losing a job, from uh, getting cancer, from uh, a husband or a wife coming home going, I don't want to be married anymore. We're always just a moment away from that. But until that vulnerability knocks on our door and comes, we wonder. I mean, isn't that really what Jesus means in verse 40? Because for that moment, their fear, the disciples, was greater than their faith. Look what Jesus says again. I don't think we need to run through this quickly. I think this is kind of the heart of the message. Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? How many times has our precious Lord said that to me? If I only had ears to hear. Bobby, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? But that's not how the story ends. We could end it right there, and they they go from this mega storm to this mega calm, and we're going, okay, all things ended well. But there is one more verse there, and it really does bring in one more mega. Look what it says, verse forty-one. And they were filled filled with what? Great fear. Guess what that word "great" means? Megas. And said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now is this fear, that kind of fear of, oh my goodness, we don't know what's going to happen? Or is it a fear that they are standing in the presence of something so holy, so powerful, so overwhelming, that they just can't, can't even comprehend who they're standing in the boat with? This megas all this megas wonder. We are in the presence. Well, we saw him heal blind people. We saw the lame walk. But here, he even commands the wind and the storm to stop. And in a moment, in a second, it stops. And what reaction do they have? Not just kind of an awe, but a megas kind of fear and wonderment. The word fear there is phobia, a phobos, where we get the word phobia. What were they fearful of? The storm? No, of Jesus. They found Christ bigger in the storm that they were facing. They already knew it probably intellectually, but they learned in that moment one of the greatest truths of life. That what they can believe about this Jesus in theory is what they can know in person. Isn't that amazing when the word of God goes from theoretical, goes from historical, goes from all the different things that it is, 
It is theoretical in many sense. It is historical. It gives us historical word. Isn't it amazing when that word of God in your quiet time in the morning, in your plea, God, don't you care that I'm perishing, that God so personalizes his word to us through his spirit that it is, it, it brings a holy fear, this awesome wonder to your life. That's what happened here. They began to grasp, even for the moment, the marriage between God's power and his purposes. That in that moment, they began to understand maybe what they had read in the Old Testament. What they read about Job when he says in Job 13, Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. That's theory. That's history. But in that moment, they go, this is what Job meant. In history, they knew that there was a time in Genesis 22 that Abraham was about to sacrifice his son. And his son asked, Dad, we have the rope, we have the fire, you have the knife, where's the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, my son. That theory and history begin to impact them and they go, that's what Abraham meant. That time that those three young Jewish boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, stood behind, in front of a mighty king and he gave them a second chance. said, bow down and worship me or I'm going to throw you in this fire. I'm going to give you one more chance because I like you, but, but you've got to bow down right now. That was theoretical, that was historical. I imagine that the disciples knew that story. But in that moment, they knew the reality of what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said when they said, our God can deliver us from this fiery furnace, but if he doesn't, we won't bow down. God, don't you care that we're perishing? Of course he cares that we're perishing. And yet in that moment when we feel the vulnerability of life closer perhaps than we've ever felt it before, not just the inconvenience of changes to plans, but that vulnerability about our own endurance, our own ability to go on to the next day, that we find out this marriage between the power of God and the purpose of God and that he is ever working to his glory. That's the peace that I pray that we would find this Thanksgiving. I just, ah, we can't be with our kids this week, you know, because of the inconvenience of this or that. That, that, we, that we would just say, okay, God, will you show us your might? Will you show us your power? Will you show us your purposes so that we can have a megos fear of the God that you are? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we love you. Father, we thank you. And Father, even if we've heard this story... Many, many times before, I prayed that we hear it fresh and in light of the experiences of our own life, the experiences of what we have faced here in 2020, Father, the experiences, Father, that has been so personal to some who have lost loved ones and, and other things that have happened in their lives. What a vulnerability, Father, we feel. When we're used to being the captain of our own ship and we can navigate those waters and kind of stay afloat and then all of a sudden, Father, we find out that that the waves will overwhelm us. Save you bring peace to the storm. And Father, this morning I pray that uh, for those who truly are in that place where they have cried out to you 
in all sincerity, Father, don't you care if we're perishing? That, Father, today that you would work and show them your power and your purposes. That, Father, you'd bring a calm, even if you don't take the storm away, but that they would find a confidence in you and your purposes. But, Father, even as I pray that, oh, what a great theoretical prayer to pray for everybody else. Father, let me understand that. To not just be an advice giver, to quote for people to have much faith in the midst of their storms. But Father, I pray that prayer this morning for myself, for my family. Father, that I would have this awesome, awesome wonder of just how majestic of God you are. We love you, Father. We thank you that in the storms of life, we are not alone, but that your very presence is here with us. We love you and we thank you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.